Welcome to episode number 41 of the Fiduciary You Podcast. I'm going to try something a little different with this episode. I recently co-hosted Retireholics, and a few people were giving me a hard time about how long my episodes are, even though they said they love the content. I conducted a poll on LinkedIn, and 52% of people said they prefer breaking each episode into two parts. Not a huge majority, but since this episode is a little longer than usual, I'm going to try it out, see what type of feedback I get. I'm releasing parts one and two at the same time, so make sure to check out both episodes. You won't want to miss either one. I can't promise I'll stick with this format, but we'll see how it goes. My guest on this episode is Chad Johansson, who's a partner and director of retirement plan sales at Plan Design Consultants, a very successful TPA that focuses on the micro and small retirement plan market. He's also one quarter of the retireholics and a self-proclaimed 401k nerd. And the moniker works. Along with being one of my best friends in the business, he's also one of the smartest guys I know in the industry. He combines a technical mind, a savvy sales approach, and an unparalleled work ethic to serve advisors and plan sponsors. On the episode, we cover a lot of ground, discussing how advisors can win big by serving the small retirement plan market. We have a great conversation about which providers are doing a good job in that space, how small plans need a different level of service than large plans, and how advisors can develop a skill set and a service model that meets those needs in a profitable way. Chad also shares his insights about how advisors can differentiate by focusing on tax-efficient strategies and advantages for small businesses, as well as the benefit of paying fees as a deductible business expense. We also cover topics like why fiduciary liability is oversold in small plans and why advisors should focus instead on helping plan sponsors avoid operational failures. We talk about winning analogies to explain complicated topics and why advisors need to understand the value of their time and start looking at technology as an investment instead of as an expense to scale their business and drive operational efficiency. I always love geeking out with Chad, and we had a great time on this show. And so I hope you enjoy part one of the Fiduciary You podcast with Chad Johansson. Chad Johansson, what's up, buddy? Welcome to the Fiduciary You podcast. I'm finally glad that we uh, were able to nail down a date. I'm like super pumped to talk to you. Yeah, that's that's my fault. I mean, you sent the, the link a few times, and I backed. I was terrified, let's put it that way. I was so scared to sit on Fiduciary U that I backed out a number of times. No, it's I'm, 100% I'm it. your fault, man. It's like, you know. I know it. It's, it, was, it, was easy, it was easier for me to get my wife to uh, convince my wife to marry me than actually <laughs> you to say yes to being on Fiduciary Hey, No, I said yes. I said, said yes. Yeah. The calendar is just yeah. so full, it's hard to align the yeah. schedules. When you're big time like you are, that's just kind of what oh, geez. I know my I know my role. I know my role. So, oh goodness. Um, I'm pumped to be here with you though. Looking forward to a good discussion. We're gonna have fun. You are um, by far one of my uh, one of my favorite people within this industry and, and um, appreciate you. You know, there's a lot of folks that that you know, I, I think that, that and I think anybody who watches this retire holics, I know JD would probably describe it this way, is I think you're one of the one of the smartest folks in the industry, really, really good at, at um, certainly as a technician, but also just being able to speak at a really deep level on lots of topics, what I would consider to be kind of second, third, fourth level thinking, not, you know, a lot of people can, can have a conversation around first level thinking issues, but, um, you know, you've always, you take it, you take it deeper. So we're going to have a good time and we're going to focus the thrust of this conversation uh, maybe a little bit different than um, 
traditionally, you know, a lot of, a lot of the folks that I speak to on the industry are, you know, focusing probably more, uh, maybe their experience is more mid to large markets. Um, you guys have carved out a really, really good niche and where you guys focus, um, not exclusively, but kind of the core is really that probably zero to $5 million market. And I think whether yeah. you're an advisory firm, a TPA, it's really important to figure out like, where's your core market? Where's your niche? And then throw gasoline on that fire. And, and we're going to be talking about, you know, topics that, you know, are prevalent, maybe more in the smaller end of the market, um, because it is a different, clients are different. The way advisors go to market, the way TPAs go to market are different in that mm -hmm. sub $5 million space. Um, practices, principles, all of that is, you know, the same, I think, across the market, but how you implement that is different in different segments. And so this will be a cool conversation to really focus and help listeners that maybe play and fish in that, you know, that, that, that smaller end of the pond. Well, and I, I mean, I think we've seen it already in the industry, the buzzword being convergence and advisors looking at going down market, supporting even startups. You've heard us discuss on the show a whole bunch, uh, 401k focused advisors saying, I want to take on the startup because it's a relationship that comes to me from a, a powerhouse referral source. And they need to find a way to scale it and be profitable in that space. So yeah, I, I do focus in the micro space. I tend to work with advisors that don't have a, a core competency in 401k, but I'm, we're doing more and more each and every month with advisors who are up market that are saying, hey, I'm going to come down market. I'm going to charge for our services and I'm going to deliver a high end package to my client, even though there's no plan in place right now and there's no asset. So I think it'll blend well for your audience. No, I think that's I think that's great. So so help listeners kind of understand um, or, and help me maybe understand we, we had I mean, I had some plans that were in that, you know, call it two to five million dollar space. It wasn't a core focus for us. Maybe some of the advisors on my team that were just starting out, you know, when they come across those plans and we had built our service model to be able to 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 support that. But it was a different you know, the lift, you just, you, you can't charge the fees in this really smaller end of that. You can still, I, you know, I would say if I was going to start an advisory business today, like I would probably focus exclu exclusively in the under $10 million market. There's just so many more plans. 98% mm -hmm. of plans are probably under $10 million, $15 million. A lot of them are a disaster and a train wreck. There's a lot less really good advisors that are out there. They're just, you know, we talked earlier before we started recording about like fishing in a stocked pond. Like there's just a lot of opportunity out there. So when you think about that market, what would you say are the biggest issues that plan sponsors are dealing with that advisors need to really um, address and figure out? Yeah, I, I'll answer that very simply. The biggest issue in that space is you have an HR generalist. You have a CFO generalist. You have a person who's wearing many hats in that space. And often time, effort, and intelligence in the 401k arena is just not there. And I don't blame them for that. They've got to run a business. And so it, where advisors need to bridge that gap is to really bring together a team that can be an educational resource for those people. I know for years, we've just looked at this as outsource, outsource, outsource. Get somebody else who knows how to do this for you. Create payroll integration, which I'm a big believer in. But I'm, I'm setting my flag in the ground saying, if we continue to just service and not educate, 
then the same problems are going to be there for us five years from now and 10 years from now. We need to come up with a way to efficiently help these HR, these CFOs, these executives that are running the Microspace 401k plan. And we need to do so by making sure that they better understand their obligations, their responsibilities, and how these plans operate. To give you the big, biggest example, Josh, I have not ran in, in my entire career talking, I've brought on probably close to 2,000 401k plans. In my entire career, I've not run into one client that truly understands the definition of compensation. Not one, not one time. Right. And so I think that telling them, oh, go read some IRS language of what compensation means. Oh, refer to your adoption agreement to see what you are including or not, not including as the definition. That doesn't help them. We need to change the terminology. We need to educate them. We need to have ways, I think you have, or I know you have a way of educating plan sponsors on these terms and the plans and the operations. Um, we need to do a better job at that in the micro space. Yeah. Yeah. Even definition of comp, even making it simple. Like, you know, a lot of times it was funny. I had a larger plan. Um, so, so what I would say is like, even upmarket, a lot of times they don't know what definition of comp is. And it was funny. Like I, I, um, I had a client, it was a large, but it was like a, not a large, it was mid, maybe like $70 million plan super profitable company, um, you know, did a few hundred million dollars a year in revenue, um, single owner actually just sold it for like $2 billion or some crazy number. Um, but what he did, this was probably like 2016, 17 is as a reward, he had probably 1200 employees. He took every, the entire company down to the, Oh, Caribbean. that's awesome. Um, it was awesome. I, and, and the number, it was like $4 million. And what they did was they paid for everybody and, um, to go. And what they did is they just basically gave them a bonus, grossed it up for taxes. And the net uh -huh. would cover the cost of them being able to pay for, pay for it. And so they're telling me all about this and I'm talking to the CFO and, and super smart guy, but he, he was still like, even 401k wise, like, you know, he kind of didn't know what he didn't know. And he's telling me about all of this. And as he's telling me, I'm like, dude, that's awesome. And then I was like, well, how, how are you doing? He told me how they were going to pay it. And I was like, when, when, when is that hitting? And he's like, you know, in a few like weeks. And I'm like, we need to amend your plan. And he's like, why? And I was like, you don't want this $4 million in additional comp in your definition of compensation. He's like, what the heck do you need? And I'm like, if this is in your definition, like if you, you might be liable, like I'm sure the owner doesn't want to pay, you know, a match on yeah. this bonus. And he's like, no, no. Didn't extrapolate no, that expense no, out. Yeah. No, we've got the budget for Dang. it. So, we like hustle and wound up like, you know, getting like an amendment and kind of like excluding and carving. But to, to your point, that was even a big company. And they had a lot of times, like you said, they just, you know, and, and why would they know? Like, it's just, it's, it's really, really complex. And I couldn't agree with you more around, you know, educating clients and, and um, you're right. It's a, and, and even, and, and with small companies, like we can't expect them you know, we, can't we don't want them to be experts. experts. Let's make that clear. Mom. We don't want them to be experts, but they need to have enough understanding to run their plan. 
because they are indeed in charge and carry the liability for running that plan. Even if we outsource it, they still need to know how to research and determine if the 316 is doing what they need to do. Let me make one point though on a comment. Yeah. They, need they need to be have enough expertise to know what they don't know and then know how to hire the right person right. who can bring that. And knowledge. it is in my opinion that the advisor should be that person. I don't think it should be the TPA. I don't, I think the advisor should be the catalyst that maybe brings those subcontractors to the table, but I would like to see the advisor community control that relationship. You, you made a point that, uh, that I, I, I don't think it's talked about enough in terms of servicing the micro space. You mentioned that this client sold the business and he did really well. One of my favorite 401k focused advisors out of Cali, a very intelligent human being. And I, I, I ended up asking him after five or six years of working with him why he never goes up market. And he's, he's a private wealth advisor that has a heavy focus in 401k and does a really good job. And he said, Chad, I can charge the fees I need to charge to be profitable in the micro space. I, I invoice my clients and they get a tax deduction for it and they pay the fees. So I'm good there. I don't need large plans with assets in order to cover what I need to be profitable. He goes, but more importantly for me and my business, my clientele, my business owners sell their companies once every six years. Now, granted, he's in California, we're in Silicon Valley. It's a little different there. But he says, once every six years, I've got these business owners coming into tens, hundreds of millions of dollars. And he goes, and it just floods my private right. wealth business because I do right. such a good job on a 401k. And I make a lot more money on my private wealth than I do on my four like in some ways i'm happy that that 401k plan goes away because i'm making a lot more revenue now well, and, and truthfully it doesn't always go away do. two of his businesses were acquired yeah. this year and we remained the tpa and he remained the advisor on them with the larger company because we were so good on what they were currently doing but think about that from an upmarket advisor that that is now getting into the private wealth space they've been 401k focused they've got a division of their team now yeah. Those micro companies, those sub 100 employee companies, they get bought and sold a lot. And those business owners tend to walk into yeah. tens of millions of dollars that they're not used to having. And, and that's a great opportunity to take your expertise from the K side and, and blend it into the wealth side. Even they walk away with two or $3 million. That's a great private client. The vast majority of yeah. RAs, like they focus on that. Their bread and butter is that 500,000 call it three to $5 million in assets. $3 million private client is a great, is a great private client. And I think one of the things you, you, you alluded to early on, like definition of comp, there's so much fear mongering. It, it, it's funny, the, the, so much fear mongering around fiduciary liability. And, you know, the reality is that is a fairly unique to, you know, unless you're committing fraud or embezzlement, like, that is an up, 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 up market. I'm not talking like 50 to 100 million. Like you're talking, I mean, Fred or, or Jerome Schlichter that I had on my podcast last year, he said he thought the floor for litigation was $200 million. And, and his whole point yeah. was that the economics, you can't make enough money as a plaintiff's attorney because you take these on contingency. You can't make enough money on small plans to cover the cost that you have to outlay to litigate these plans. And so, you know, down market, um, I'd say under 200 million, under 100 million, but absolutely in the micro market, the biggest risk to companies 
is not liability. If you're an advisor selling on like fiduciary liability to a $5 million plan, then you are totally, quite frankly, one, you either don't know what you're talking about or you're trying to sell on the, the, it's like getting struck by lightning. But operational failures are common to every plan. Down market, like you could have a $5 million plan that could run into a, easily into the five figures, but a six figure correction if they're not running their plan correct. That's the bigger risk for micro plans is the cost of fixing operational failures, not the risk of getting sued, which is never going to happen. So accurate and well put. We we have engaged ERISA counsel when we onboard a client, because honestly, about 70% of the plans we onboard have mistakes. And some of them you can get around, others you have to fix. Got to go back through the VCP and make corrections. You got to go back and redo filings. Like sometimes you just can't get around it. And we're not trying to dig up old trash, but the analogy I often use for folks is you're bringing us on to build a third, a fourth, a fifth story on this building. That's what you're hiring us. this, this, This core structure of your plan has already existed for years. And if we do work on top of inaccurate work, then all of our work is inaccurate and we know it. And so we can't build a third, fourth, or fifth story right. then. And there's, and there's downstream. Yeah, and then there's downstream yep. effects and, and to that. The, the costs you know, get much larger the longer you wait, especially if the IRS catches you. You get a notice from the IRS and you can no longer go through some of the compliance programs they offer. It gets expensive now. Uh, so, uh, yeah, unfortunately, operational efficiency, operational yeah. mistakes is probably the number one thing that – I spend education time on with plant sponsors, with committees is to say, let's look at what does your employee handbook look like? Does it match the adoption agreement? Let's look at how you're, you're creating your match per pay period. Are you matching on all compensation? What is that definition? Those are the things that an ounce prevention is worth a pound of cure. Spend a little bit of time up front and, and keep that client safe on the back end. Unfortunately, in the micro space, that stuff just doesn't get talked about very often. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's not the listeners want to hear this, but like, so, so um, I have a history of colon cancer in my family. So like, I, I have to- Something you love, I'm sure. Um, which is never fun. Oh, it's great. It's great. Um, it, it feels like getting, it, 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 it feels like uh, the physical <laughs> version of getting audited by the IRS. It's, it, um, but- Colon cancer is pretty much a preventable disease. Like if they go in and they find pot, like they, they can go in if you, the, the ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. But what happens is if you don't get regularly tested, then when it's a late stage issue, the outcomes yeah. are very, very bad. And so I think that's what you're saying is, hey, let's have a process in place where we can any IRS or DOL, you know, auditor would tell you that there is no perfectly healthy 401k plan. Operational errors happen all the time. If you can find them quickly and you can fix them quickly, then the amount of 401k chemotherapy that has to, you know, you have to go yeah. through is is a lot less. So I think a really, really good point. What have you found in terms of... Um, you know, I think in that market, you see a lot more of kind of what I would call a three-pronged team of advisor, TPA, mm-hmm. and record keeper, you know, more upmarket, not to say that there aren't TPAs more upmarket, but you see a lot more, I would say, bundled arrangements there, or at least I did kind of in my career. 
Um, what are you seeing in terms of like different providers and, and like who's doing a good job down market and, and what's the difference between delivering a, a really good solution for a micro plan? Yeah. Let me make a, a comment that I can't pass up first. Uh, we've been on over a year now creating a bunch of releases with Nevin Adams and the folks at ARA and a number of other TPAs that even a bundled solution has a TPA as well. Even a bundled solution at 500 million has a compliance administrator within the same shop as the record keeper doing the work that my firm does. The difference is you're choosing to keep it under one chassis versus having a specialist in each area. Now we can debate that and talk about that at some point in time, but I want to make it known the large plans have a TPA as well. And it's just a bundled TPA. It's not just record keeping. Every plan has record keeping and administration together. It's just, is it all single sourced or is it multi-sourced? And even when you get in the micro space, almost every record keeper has a bundled solution too. They do my firm's work in-house, even on many of them, even on startups. Um, Specifically, if I focus, say, sub 5 million, the groups that have really been knocking out of the park over the last few years, your your T-Rows, they've come down market. They've got a cost-effective solution, great deal of investment flexibility. The tech is good. They've done a good job eating up a lot of that market share right now, especially in the TPA community, because they've embraced the value that we believe we bring. Um, the one area of concern I have with t- two areas, one is how much can they take on? Their implementation has been pushed out significantly. It's no longer a 60-day implementation. You're now looking at 90, 120-day, even on a brand new plan. Is that they have been. They have been. So they raised their pricing a little bit, tried to slow that down. They do outsource their implementation to DST. That was my second worry with them. Um, I have not had any issues with that, quite honestly. But it does leave me a little uncomfortable when the client chooses T-Row and then gets email communications from DST Systems saying it's time to set up your plan. And they're not, you know, they're not reaching out as an employee of T-Row. Um, that has bitten others, by the way. Principal, any plan sub 100 employees has to go on what they call Simply Retirement now. And Simply Retirement is just a private labeled product of Ubiquity. Uh, I believe Ubiquity was the old online 401k. And so now every single plan sub 100 with principal goes into that product. Now you can unbundle it with a TPA or you can use Ubiquity as the TPA, but it is no longer principal's chassis. It's Ubiquity's chassis. That I've had a bunch of issues with so far. Um, Hoping that they get that figured out, but they doubled down. Originally it was only 11 employees and under that needed to go on it. Now it's 100 employees and under have to go on that chassis. Um, so T Rose crushing it. Vestwell's doing really well, both in that space and I'll say getting up into that mid market space because the the tech and the integration with different payroll companies, different advisor platforms, different technology like what you're doing with RX, like they've got really good relationships and good people. Um, and as a record keeping product, they're doing very well. And I just think I saw them post about. Um, I know just in, in, you know, uh, in chatting and working and, you know, we created a, a, a partnership together and, and I know they were looking for like a director of like 
enterprise TPA relationship. They just announced, I think, like this yeah. unbundled flexibility now, some type of. Program. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little torn, to be honest. I love the commitment. I love the site. I initially thought that this was about distribution. I think the TPA community is great at, at finding opportunities. Um, I took a step back after learning more about what Aaron and team launched. They have come out to the community of TPAs, including us, and said, we want you to work for this price. This is what we believe is reasonable for your services. We'll do all the invoicing to the client. You'll get a portion of what we invoice to the client. You will do the compliance work, but everything will funnel through us, essentially. So outsourcing the compliance work to the TPA community. Um, a different way of going about it. I hadn't, hadn't really thought through that one all that deep. But they don't really give you pricing flexibility where you can value your own services. It's kind of like it's like in the health it's like in the healthcare world. It sounds like where, you know, I know I get my um, I'm dealing with a torn ligament. You're falling right apart. So my doctor's bills have been off the. I'm getting old, um, but you know, you get your your um, explanation of benefits, or you get right. It's like the doctor charges this. And then the reimbursement rate that the, the carrier has negotiated yeah. with the doctor is this. It sounds like in some ways that might be similar as there's like yeah. a negotiated rate. That yeah, exactly. So two pass. One, if the referral is coming through Vestwell, if you're one of their TPAs that they're referring the business to, then it's going to be under that relationship. Mm -hmm. But if, if Josh Itzo comes to me with an advisor and that advisor wants to use Vestwell and we do it outside of that, then I can use my own cost structure. So they're controlling cost really for the lead gen perspective where they're delivering basically opportunities for TPAs, not the other way where TPAs are sourcing the business yep. and, and bringing. That's why my thought of distribution was inaccurate with what they're trying to launch. And what I've learned since is there are certain things they can't do cross-tested profit sharing, some advanced design, um, dealing with large controlled groups. Which are really common in the microspace, right? Where you, where in the microspace where you have closely held businesses and a business owners, maybe their main goal is like, yeah. how do I defer the maximum amount of money I can? For That's about, cost that right there is probably 60% of my consultation time. What you just described right there. What is the most effective design for my company? In my point of view, you have three different types of plans in the micro space from a tax perspective. You have those that are tax positive, meaning the owner and business are saving more in taxes than any cost associated with the plan. Cost being dollars to the employees or operational cost. The second time I'll call tax neutral, meaning plus or minus, we either have some cost or we have some tax savings, but it's a reasonable range to where we as a business owner feel that this is still in the best interest of us, the ownership and the business. And we're gonna create a plan that's tax efficient, ta tax, tax neutral. Um, or the third, you have an employee benefit plan. You have enough employees, you have enough uh, payroll, that any matching or profit sharing that you're gonna give is going to exceed the tax savings that the business is going to get. And we just let the business owner know, yeah, you're gonna claw back 100 grand from the IRS, but you're giving 400 grand to your employees. It's a great thing. But it's the cost of doing business. In that case, it's the cost of doing business. Like, hey, this is more about we need find, to find, hire, and retain to attract right? 
And yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. So in the micro space, yeah. I spent a lot of time having that discussion. What are their objectives and where are we going to land? We're going to be tax positive, tax neutral, or are we going to have an employee benefit plan? Got it. Got it. Let's come back to that because I think there's some things talking from a tax perspective, especially with tax credits now. And even I think we talked about it on Retireholics, you know, one time as well, just in in terms of if, you know, it's, it, we'll come back to the tax piece. I, I just want to kind of put a pin on, you know, you mentioned T. Rowe, you mentioned Vestwell. What other providers out yeah. there are seeing that that are doing a, it, a good job and then yeah. that are advisor well, TPA some, friendly. I mean, Vestwell's not all that TPA friendly yet. T. Rose, T. Rose there, getting there. Vestwell's there, getting there. Um, Voya continues to do a really good job in that space. The employee education side and the technology is phenomenal. Their orange dollars and, and their uh, engagement tools really help advisors make a meaningful impact. Biggest thing for me with Voya in comparison to any of the other insurance-based platforms Voya will charge a flat billable cost for their services. And so the client gets a deductible expense, potentially helps with the credit if it's a startup. Um, if it's a tax positive plan, that's what we're always looking for is deductible expenses. And it is for the life of the plan. So as that plan grows, much like your Vestwells and some of these other disruptors, if you're four grand to Voya, you're four grand to Voya at a million and you're four grand to Voya at two million and you're four grand to Voya at four million. Um, and so they've done a really good job capturing market share because of that simple pricing notes. Yeah. And that's tying really scope of work, right? It, 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 and this is, you know, asset based record keeping fees. Like it has, the work has nothing to do with the amount of assets. It's the number of participants. Um, you know, and if, if it's funny, I, I, some of the stuff I built into Fiduciary RX and being able to model out like an asset base versus a, a per participant fee, some really cool functionality called FRX. But, you know, just in thinking about it, if your ass, if plan assets are growing faster than participants, generally speaking, a per participant fee works better. If participants are growing faster than assets, you know, it's the, uh, you know, it's, it's the other way around. Um, but then that also protects, I think, record keepers, that was always my pitch to them. It's like, look, I know you're addicted to the asset-based fees, but let's say you got a company who has 100 employees and, and acquires another company with 100 employees. Now there's 200 employees. Well, guess what? Your fees just doubled if you're charging a per participant fee Yeah, because you're, you know, the scope of the work doubled. And a lot of providers down market, though, I feel like it's changing or more open they're to getting there. I think their fear, fees. Josh, is ripping that Band-Aid off because they're using the five and ten million dollar plan to subsidize the startup and the five hundred thousand and the one million dollar plan. Where I always tell clients when we're looking at a startup, if they're willing to charge a percentage, like many advisors are too, they're doing pro bono work for the first first few years. Like think about that. They're they're making no money. They're doing a lot of work. There's a lot of tech and effort. Yeah. Is nothing. Exactly. 100% of nothing. And so I, I think platforms that are willing to charge a flat fee or a per participant fee in the startup space, especially, will find some profitability down there that will make them even more competitive in the one, three, five, ten million dollar space because they don't need to subsidize as much because they're not giving those plans away anymore. 
Now that, that I will tell you, um, that's been a hard conversation for some advisors that focus in that space because they're used to going in with no billable costs. That's what this client came out of uh, paychecks from, you know, or came out of ADP from. There's no billable costs. So it was bundled before and they, they were not writing a check for anything. So why do you want me to tell them to write a check? And I said, this comes down to that education. We need to make sure they know why we're doing this, not only the tax deduction, but also the long-term growth. If we can bring the asset charge down from 1% to 50 basis points and have the client take on two grand in billable, that's a win for the employees and a win for the client. Someone's just got to slow down to teach these people that. Yeah. And these people, I'm saying, not only the advisor community, but the plan sponsor community. The advisors need to speak with conviction as to why we're telling the client they should write a check. Yeah. Well, and even being able to model that out, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, on the private wealth side as an example, you know, um, doing things like planning focused strategies like a mega backdoor Roth or a Roth conversion, if you can project that out, like, yeah, you're going to pay more in tax now, but here's what your long-term like tax efficiency is going to be like. You can't control the markets, but you can control yeah. planning strategies like that. And that's, you know, I, I had or some of my, you know, some of these small, closely held plans where, you know, they were top heavy um, and it was, you know, a small number of, of key employees that had the lion's share of the assets. You know, I, I had actually put together a model that I had done for them. This is going years and years ago, but saying, let us do an analysis for you. Like if you're charging a, not charging a billable, the reality is this, if it's asset-based and you have the lion's share of the assets, mm -hmm. you're paying a lion's share of the fees and those fees are reducing the amount of money to compound. So you actually have this compounding cost because you're underwriting a lot of it out of your own, your own accounts. So does it make more sense to pay this as a billable, deduct it, this was even before the credits, deduct it current year and let's model out what's going to be better on your long-term wealth. You may find in, in, and it's got to be the right plan, but you may find that you actually are, are in terms of the assets you can accumulate, it's much better for you to pay that billable yeah. and deduct it as an expense and get that inflated, you know, cost. I, I just took notes. Your assets. Do you find I, yeah, and I just took notes happening? of compounding cost because I've never used that term in that specific part of the conversation. I love that. That's good. What I tend to do is tell them if you have more than 60% of the assets, most of our clients are in rough with that 40% tax bracket. If you have more than 60% of the assets, you're better off taking on a build expense than you are an asset-based cost because for every dollar, you're going to get a 40% credit back from the IRS essentially saying that hey, you created a deduction here. Um, the thought of it compounding year over year is, is good. It's not something I've talked about and, uh, and I love, I love that thought, but yeah, the, that conversation's happening. You could build, we just would build, we would build like a personal projection for them and yeah. model out just the two scenarios. Um, you know, it takes a little bit of work, but now you're talking about value added discussions, you, you know, that, that, why in that, that space by far probably the most trusted business advisor mm -hmm. is typically the CPA, not the auditor, yeah. but the tax accountant, because the tax accountant is showing value add of like, Hey, 
you're going to spend 100k but if you do that you're going to save 500k and that's why they that's a when you can start to talk about deeper level consulting like that I just think you put yourself into a the number of clients I speak to in that microspace, Josh, that have a tax preparer versus a tax consultant, which is the term you just used, is remarkable. So many of them say, "Oh, I don't talk to my tax preparer. I just send them the stuff, and and they prepare my taxes and send it back to me." Like that, that is a disservice to you. You're leaving opportunity and dollars on the table. If you speak with a tax consultant, they'll give you ideas every year. They'll say, Hey, it's time to buy another truck or it's time to do this because they know your personal situation and what is beneficial for you. Completely agree. Yeah. It's tax, yeah. tax prep versus tax planning. And you can bring that with these small, you know, closely held businesses and plans as the advisor, like you can bring, and you're not going to give tax advice, but you can bring in some of those tax planning consulting yeah. strategies. I know you want to table really this one for later, but we hopped right back from vendors to, to tax planning. So I'm going to make one more point and then we can go back if you'd like. The, the conversations that we have in the micro space are very different than the, from a tax planning perspective than those in the small, mid-large space. I'll give you one simple example that I think often is overlooked. And as you likely know, in the 401k world, Eligible compensation, eligible pay for an S-Corp business owner. Most of these small businesses are structured as an S-Corp. The eligible pay is only their W-2. Yeah. Their, their owner draw, their distribution, their K-1 does not count for plan compensation. And so often what we do is we sit down with them and, and I'll say, hey, you're taking 100 grand in income right now. I want to boost your, your W-2 to 200,000. And they're like, no, 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 no. My, my, my tax consultant tells me to keep my W-2 as low as possible because I save and save in self-employment tax. And then I quantify it for him, just like you did. I said, look, you're going to take a little bit of Social Security. And you're going to take some Medicare on. So you're going to pay an extra $11,000 in taxes to bump up your pay. But in doing so, not only can we shelter more for you, but your cost and contribution to your employees in order to allow you to maximize on the 401k. You were giving them forty grand. Now you're giving them 20. So not only did you save more, but you also brought down what you have to give to the employees by $20,000. And net net, this is what I think many consultants fail to do. Don't show the client percentages that they're getting. Oh, you're getting 58% of the company contribution or 62 or, or 91. Show them dollars and make it freaking green and big. Show them, look, this is what you're ahead by doing this. You you just saved an extra $18,000 that is now in your account, in your pocket, in your company versus out the doors to the IRS right now. And that, that hits home when you show them dollars. It really does. And if you look at the industry, all of our tech, all of our software shows percentages. I hate it. I still have not found a good one out there, which is why we take everything that we produce and put it into our own, uh, you know, our own uh, push out technology, our own interface. Um, it's got to be shown in dollars.